Welcome back to the Meeting Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Frampton, the co-founder and CEO of SalesQ. If you're watching on video form today, you might notice I'm in a little bit different location. We're actually in the SalesQ HQ today, breaking this thing in. So excited to be here. And we have a special guest with us, Aaron Dramond, VP of Sales over at Place. Had a phenomenal career starting as an account exec there and working his way up through the sales leadership ranks. Now, again, VP of sales under four years. Aaron, super excited to have you joining me today. And thanks for having me, Ryan. It's been awesome. I've been a fan of what you guys are doing. So it's great to get on here and kind of share the story. Awesome. I know you've listened to a few episodes, so why don't we dive right into it? When people look at your LinkedIn profile, like all the folks that we've had on, they're like, how can I replicate this? This is exactly what I want my career to look like as I join maybe a new role after being laid off or what may have ever happened. Lots of dynamic things are changing right now. What are some of the more challenging times that you've faced throughout your career that people might not be able to recognize from an outsider looking at? Yeah, I thought about this a lot. When I first started out, I had that exact example. I was working for a company. I got acquired by a PE firm. I was doing really well. I went from being an SDR to a BDR to an AE to the sales manager, similar to what I've done here at Place. And right when I felt like I had my rhythm, my groove, the company got, had a massive layoff. So they cut pretty much every other site. They kept the Charlotte side alive and kept our team going, but you can feel the writing was on the wall. And in these times when there's a lot of layoffs going on, a lot of people say this, but you have to lean into your network. So I literally, this is back in the day when Snapchat was cool. I don't even know if Snapchat is still cool, but I got on Snapchat. I was like, okay, what do you do when you get laid off? And I sent it to a bunch of my friends. And surprisingly enough, if you continue to network and if you continue to build relationships and build a relationship is just having a conversation, not looking to get anything out of it, but just talk. I had a buddy of mine who said, hey, a CEO is looking for their first AE. And I'm like, all right, let's have a conversation. In hard times, it's just trying to figure out how you can get in front of people, how you can build relationships. And then sometimes those things will turn it into a little bit of a new opportunity. So with Place, it was a little bit of a hurdle. I literally had lost my job. I had previously just bought a house in Charlotte. At the time, it was my girlfriend and I, and we were just getting things together. We had built a bunch of stuff in the house, fixed things up. And the next thing I'm going to so we had an opportunity to move. Do you want to do that? And we took the opportunity, went down to Austin and I get aligned with my CEO now. And you hope when you look at like the startup world, that life is going to be like roses and the hockey stick kind of growth. And most people, it's not that way. And I had that slap of reality really quick. I came in as the first AE for a company that had literally had not even gotten to beta. So. We had a little bit of the product designed and I had to figure out, okay, what is our sales process? Who do we sell to? How do we sell to them? How do we demo a product? I had demoed products in the past, but I was a pretty established company. So there was no glorified beauty of just saying, oh, we rocked in, got on the phone, started calling everybody and I got all my deals knocked out in the first quarter. No, there was so many ups and downs of just trying to say one positive, but then look at what I can affect, what I can control and try and stay and get into more of a sustainable process of getting those things together. So fast forward, moved from AE to sales manager. On paper, it looks like I had that clear cut kind of break from being the IC to being a manager. <laughs> I was managing our team, also selling, also being held accountable to quota, 
while still trying to figure out what's the repeatable process that then we can leverage to then allow the company to grow. We grew to about seven AEs at that time frame, And then I moved into our director's position where I tried to take a step back. And at that time, we ended up transitioning products. So we had a legacy FP&A product that we had a good feeling was going to go somewhere. Um, and then we fell into some hurdles and it didn't really go to the direction that you would hope or expect when you look at, hey, I'm going to join a startup. We're just going to take this rocket ship to the right direction. With those hurdles, we had some layoffs and then we transitioned into a new product. And when you go from a new product, I feel like I've been at one company, but I've had two different companies within that company. So we had to scale up another product, learn how to demo that product, listen to our customer to figure out what was really relevant for them. And then that's when I made the transition into our VP of sales, where I still do a lot of everything that I've done before. So I still really act like an AE, I still act like the manager, I still act like the director, but now I'm more in front of our investors and I'm more in front of our board and I'm really instilling confidence, not only in our customers across departments. I have to make sure our VP of marketing listens and pays attention to what's going on. And our product guy actually really understands, here's what customers are asking for. And then all while trying to sell that story of here's the success that we're having with our CEO and get everybody on board. I always say that it's like five different black guys, but I've been able to shield away from the shadows as much as possible as the company has scaled over the past four or almost five years. No, that makes a, a ton of sense. I appreciate you sharing that with everybody. I think it really reminds me of my time at Vidyard. I think some people get really caught up when they're trying to move from IC to a leadership role where it's like, hey, I deserve this. Can you now give me the title and can you do X? I don't want to manage someone before I have that title or, hey, I'm managing someone now. Give me the bump. And it's like, what it sounds like you did is you just got thrown in it. You're like, hey, I have zero support because the CEO doesn't know how to necessarily sell his product yet. Like they're just learning as much as you're learning. Just a lot of people are probably feeling that are at bigger companies where leadership headcount is a little bit more thin because of the economy and trying to do more with less. So they may feel like they're not having as much support. So rather than just complaining about it, you just made it happen. Just figure it out. Take one step every day to learn a little bit more and execute a little bit better, which really resonates with me. And then what I was mentioning around what's similar around my story with Vidyard is my boss just left one day. And a bunch of people that need to be managed and who's just going to roll up their sleeves and like help. And as they were trying to find a replacement leader, they realized that they didn't need one because I already filled that gap and I didn't ask for a pay bump for a title raise. Three months later, they just gave it to me because I was filling a void. Yep. And if you focus in your career filling voids, it's really going to help you propel. So that really resonates. What do you think gives you that? Like, where do you think you learn that from? Is it just like an innate thing that's inside you? Or I guess, why do some people think that way versus others don't? I don't know. Maybe it's the line that you're cut from. My, my dad was in the military. He was in the army for almost 32 years and really came from nothing. My, my grandparents were in the concrete construction business. So my dad has always instilled that if you want something done, go get it done. And then you can always have that retrospective of, did you do it right or did you fail? Yeah. Or, and so you have to have that type of mindset. And depending on whether you're an early stage company or if you're at one of the big wigs that are out there, if you do your job as best that you can, and then you look for opportunities where you can grow, that just will slowly lead you into that next transition point. So your time at Vidyard, 
you're probably grinding away, closing as many deals as possible. But because you're a top performer, your peers were probably like, hey, Brian, what are you doing? I take the time to give, take the time to share. And what you'll end up finding out is that person might have one little thing that they're doing really well that you can then pull back. So what you shared with them gives you an opportunity to grow, but what they shared with you gives you an opportunity to grow. And I don't know why more people don't do that. Maybe it's the, the fear of failure or asking for help and not knowing that most people are going to be excited about that. But I think that's what you have to do. You kind of have to put your emotions on your sleeve a little bit, get out there and get in front of people and learn what is working and then run with it as much as you can. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Another thing I just want to circle back on, because you mentioned you got laid off at your previous role, which kind of sparked your journey at place. When you mentioned about networking, getting out there, talking to people, what are some things that you'd recommend folks do now? Because there's I feel like a ton of communities, like there's Rev Genius, there's Pavilion. I think both you and I are a part of Pavilion. Highly recommend them, of course. What are some tips that you have to build your network as you're maybe earlier on in your career, not necessarily in the leadership position? Yeah. So first thing, going back to my first company, is that I tried to network with everybody that was at the current company. I was at the Charlotte office, so there was only maybe 100 salespeople in that office. I ended up listening and finding other top performers at the other offices. One was in Austin, one was in Scottsdale. So I would reach out and I would just say, hey, I listened to your call. Everybody has call recording nowadays. Like, I listened to your call. You're crushing your rebuttals. You found this prospect. How did you go back to that? And that right there was one of the main reasons I ended up moving out to Austin is because I made some really good connections out here that allowed me to learn what was going on and how people were performing better than I was. So I sharpened my tool and I got back to work and then I started performing better than they did. In today's age, when I first moved to Austin, outside of a few people that I had some connections with, I didn't know anybody. So I did what I think a lot of people do, but they never actually take that next step. You go to Google, you find up all the networking events and you just go meet people. I was at Sastock this past week. I saw one of the guys that I networked literally the first week that I was ever in Austin and we're like family. I'm like, Sam, what's up? How are you doing? But we've never worked together before. I've never sent business to him. He's never sent business to me. We just have a common bond around SaaS tech, and we just have those conversations. So just go connect with people. Don't be afraid to reach out to somebody on LinkedIn. I probably have a meeting a week with someone who's just reached out and said, hey, I'm having some troubles with this. And if you do that, guess what? I'm going to follow up and see how those challenges are going. Because I think it really goes that next level of learning what other people are going through and then trying to adapt to those situations if they ever come up in your life. You'd be super surprised at how many people are just willing to help. Yes. Uh, and most people don't even allow themselves to be proved wrong. If you have this self-filling belief that nobody's really going to help you and you're doing it alone, but you haven't sent out 100 LinkedIn messages to folks that you feel you could really learn from asking them if you could just have a chat with them for 15 minutes i can guarantee you one person will say yes i'm happy to help if you're out there send me a linkedin message and i'm happy to be that person to prove you wrong because it's so true and again a lot of people just stop before they even try i think another thing that you said about going to events we were talking this before we went on air about how effective in-person stuff is right now and a lot of people are working remotely but 
there's a lot of in-person events starting to pop up again. I know I'm going to Collision in Toronto and the connections that you're going to be able to make at those in-person events with people craving that interaction is going to be incredible. And a lot of companies even have spare tickets that they just don't have anybody to go with or their customers don't want them or what have you. So there's no excuse if you don't have a ticket and you can't afford it. To that point, don't be afraid to not ask. If you're an early stage rep and, you're, and you feel like there could be an ROI or an opportunity for you to learn, go to your CEO, go to your boss and say, hey, this is what I'd like to do. If there's budget. If there isn't, well, go ask someone, find a sponsor. Because who knows, maybe that company is going to try and sell to you. There's so many different ways that you can do it, but you have to put sweat equity in order for it to actually stick. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but at least you tried. And then if, so, if you reach out to someone and they can't help you, more often than not, they're going to know someone who can't help you. And that's just the beauty of being in this SaaS ecosystem or any type of ecosystem. You'll end up finding out that there are a lot of people that will continue to stay in there. And that's how you build those relationships is put your neck out there and we'll see what happens. Yeah, 100%. Maybe just to change gears a little bit. One thing we like to do, Aaron, on the podcast is get tips from sales leaders around what they feel all sellers should be doing on their calls to really set them up for success. Curious, like when you think about the team that you're leading or even folks that are trying to sell to you all day, what are things that are standing out to you that maybe the best sellers do and then the worst sellers do that people should really be thinking about? Yeah, it's, I think there's, this can be applied to two different verticals and it's early stage companies and even more established companies. It's really know your ICP. Your ideal customer profile is going to drive the conversation. So this might not be you closing the deal, but this is how you get to the person where you're going to understand their problems. You're going to understand the situations. You're going to understand what they're waking up and trying to solve every single day. And if you start with your really tight ICP around company size, process, people, whatever it might be, that'll give you an opportunity to really develop one, a relationship to the type of experience or expertise that you need to have to sell to that role or that person. And then three, you're going to gain that trust because you know what is going on in that business and what's going on in the world. I sell a B2B SaaS and subscription like product, right? I don't have a finance and accounting degree. I have an exercise science degree. I spent so much time learning as much as possible about SaaS metrics and B2B billing, subscription issues, ASC 606, all these fancy things. But if I didn't know this, then I'm not going to look credible to the person that I'm selling. And so you have to be able to come in, do the homework, put in the sweat equity to make it work, and then it will go. And the ways that people can do this is you can reach out to a customer, get a customer win review. If you've already won that customer, ask them why. What are the problems that they feel you're going to solve for them? Call recording notes. You can go back and listen to someone actually tell you why they want to buy. We used to not be able to do this back in the day. So be able to go back and listen to somebody say, this is the problem I am trying to solve. I'm so surprised more people don't go back to LinkedIn or put that information in their pitch deck and say, this is what you told me you need to fix and I can fix this for you. So that gives you an opportunity to really tie a challenge or a pain into a solution that you have for that person. You can interview your customer success manager. Guess who's with your customers 24-7? Guess who's going to know every way that the customer might end up using your product? Interview them, figure out what you're solving, how you're trying to fix that process. This is something I do almost every week with our CSM. I want to know 
what is really important to our customers right now? What wins have we had? And I'll take that, go back to the team, chop it up, put it in an email, and we're going to see if it works. So there's so many different steps that you can take. And what people don't do is they don't put in the work. You have to put in the steps. You have to grind. It, it, as much as it used to be like this smile and dial world, the smile and dialing, you can still do that and be really successful. We do it, we're successful, but there's more of that grind and effort that you can put into selling that you can go back in and do in other activities that allow you to really perform at a high level. And all it takes is a little bit of effort. Yeah. One thing I've seen is there's a lot of reps that go to companies, they read the headlines of the case studies that the company has, but they don't actually read the case studies. Think about how much valuable information around your customer's problems, how your solution solves it are in those things. And for you just to read the headline, right? Like just, you got to put in the extra effort. Another thing that I like to do when I'm onboarding reps in my previous roles would be, hey, go on G2 Crowd and read all of our competitors' positive reviews and negative reviews. That gives you a ton of understanding around the competitive landscape. Because now when you're getting a competitive objection on a cold call or a demo, you're not saying, hey, I think we differentiate like this. You're saying, actually, Sally from X company said this, and this is how we solve it differently. So to your point, the little extra effort you can put in puts you 10 steps ahead of any other seller. So Aaron, really appreciate you joining us. Thanks on the for having me. And really shared some great info. And thanks to everybody for watching. Now a quick word from the company power in the podcast thanks again watching call recordings on 2x speed is not only exhausting but is also a waste of time for sales reps and leaders with sales cube you can take concise notes with just a click of a button during your calls so you can stay focused on the conversation these notes are visible in real time ensuring that you have all the critical information you need while it matters after the call the notes are automatically added to your crm providing your sales leader with all the information they need Sales leaders no longer need to spend hours watching calls to identify if their coaching has been implemented. They can simply add feedback to SalesQ and their sales team will be reminded in real time to execute on it. Sales reps can also submit evidence of their implementation of the feedback with just a click of a button, giving sales leaders an accurate picture of how the team was adopting their coaching. Want to help a specific rep improve? You can view calls where feedback was missed within your favorite call recording platform. Experience a more efficient way of managing your sales team with SalesCube.